Yo, Brenna, I really think this show's gonna turn it up to 11. Yeah, man, it's gonna turn the world upside down. It's fun fiction! Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly podcast that takes takes two friends deep into the world of fan-created content on the internet. I'm one of your hosts, Scotty Moore. And I'm the other host, Brenna Clark. What up, guys? That's right, and Brenna, I am so freaking excited this week. I know, I know you're not a fan, but I'm so happy that we're finally going to get to do Hamilton. Uh... It's one of... Wait, what? What? You said... <laughs> You said world turned upside down. That was clearly that's not what? no like the the upside down like Stranger Things. I don't what. Yeah, it's not everything is Hamilton, Scotty. Yes, it is. It really is. It's not. It's not. Okay, so damn it. It's I guess it's a good thing that I watched all of season two of Stranger Things in the past week. Finally, I know it was it was such a, a fortunate event that I didn't plan for at all. Uh, at all. So, I mean, you know a majority of my feelings because I started live texting. Live you. texting, yes. I I thought because like I started watching it on Wednesday, and I'm not a bingey kind of dude, and so I was trying to math out because we were gonna do the show Friday, I think. Because that's what we usually do. Yeah. And so I was trying to math out, like, damn, this is nine episodes. There's no way I'm going to get through the whole thing by Friday. That's going to suck. How am I going to plan this out properly? And then I remember uh, at about two o'clock in the morning realizing, oh, shit, that was episode six. <laughs> what just happened to me? And then the next day I literally finished off the final three episodes. Once you pop, you can't stop. I mean, well, you could. I, I think you could probably stop about the time where you get to that horrible backdoor pilot episode that I don't want to uh, talk about. It's I, not that bad. It was. Pr- I was lucky because it was the first episode I watched in my. Because <laughs> if it was like, if I was like two or three episodes in, and then that episode came in, I was gonna be like, "All right, I'm done for the day." I don't have to do it. It was because it highlighted my least favorite, because they had a lot of storylines this season. Like, a lot. A lot. It highlighted my least, surprisingly, my least favorite one, which is Eleven going to find her mama. Yeah, I mean, but... Yeah. You don't have a a reply, do you? (laughs) It's just, but... Oh. Oh. Yeah, so, um, yeah, because I really enjoyed the Hopper and uh, Eleven, like, character arc, and then they're like, how about we just take Eleven away from everybody for the rest of the season? And I was like, okay, cool, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I did enjoy uh, Callie, and I do enjoy the fact that she's named after, like, is it the Hindu goddess of destruction? I think so, right? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, dog. That's why I was like, that this is this is great. Also, Brenna, why do they just insist on destroying they did a I think the people who do Stranger Things, the Duffer brothers went on a worldwide search for the sweetest looking child and the most innocent and precious being and they found Little Will Byers, and then they just said, how can we fuck him up for two seasons in a row? 
That poor precious baby. He's. I was looking stuff up, and apparently he's the only character that has not cussed in this, in oh. the two seasons that it's been on. Oh. And that just makes me feel even worse. He's just a little cinnamon roll. He's a little cinnamon roll, and they're just like, now you're possessed by a demon and you're murdering people. Okay, that's cool, I guess. And also, your mom is trying to set you on fire. Yeah. The weird thing, and then I guess I'm guilty of this in my own books, which is the fact that I, they wrote a sequel and they made me care about different characters than I did in the first season. Because, like, I, you know, when I watched first season, Steve could suck a dick. I hated Steve. <sighs> Steve was the <laughs> worst. <laughs> He was the worst, but... And you know what I found out was that they were trying to make him, like, a human villain in the series? Like, he was gonna be... Mullet guy. A, a, yeah, he was gonna be mullet guy, and then Joe Keery comes in, and they're like, oh, you're so cute and adorable, we can't do that to you. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh my god, it's John Ralphio, I can't make him evil with this exactly. shit. Exactly. Which, by the way, speaking of mullet guy, this show is the best at making characters that you just hate. Like, it is so... It's on par with a series of unfortunate events on just making people who you... Like, the minute they come on screen, you contemplate fast-forwarding. Right. Because, uh... Dude, I wanted to love mullet guy, but... <laughs> And I well, was, I, he's a stone called fox too, so it's kind of hard to. And also, there were some real weird. There, okay. Stop me if this goes too far into slash fic territory. Oh God! But was there not some like decent sexual tension between him and Steve? Because okay, I... I'm. I'm gonna tell you something. When I was looking for fan fiction for this, like I'm not kidding. 98% of it is, <laughs> is, is slash fiction between the two. And I read some of them and wow, just wow. I knew I, it. Yeah, it's, it's apparently there, but I didn't catch on to it because I'm too much into me and Steve, not oh, yeah. Billy and Steve. Well, no, I was putting myself in the shoes of Billy. So therefore, <laughs> I was just like, which by the way, thank you for reminding me what his name is, because I was going to refer to him as Mullet Guy for the rest of I this mean, episode. We literally could just call him Mullet, it's fine. Yeah, that's all it is. Um, but then I think, Brenna, we need to get into the real villain of this series. Fucking Bob. Um, <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. We're not going there, because I don't, I don't want us to fight Bob. on... Bob, this look, podcast. Okay, look. If Bob hadn't looked Will's precious in Will's precious face and said, "Hey, you small innocent thing that could not hurt a fly, not won't hurt a fly, couldn't if you physically tried to hurt a fly," that he looked at Will and said, "You need to go to that monster you're seeing and just be like, stop it." Which then in turn led to Will getting possessed by the devil and numerous people getting murdered at the hands of evil Will. Not, okay. for, not for nothing, <laughs> Bob's final death was paying penance no. for this. Nope, no. Okay, in defense of Bob, he didn't, he, he's a little small boy and he doesn't know these big, terrible, dark things. Wait, hold on, are you talking about Will or Bob? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Bob. <laughs> and he... 
he doesn't know and it's not uh, he he thought it was a delusion right so he's trying to be like stand up to your inner demons man he didn't realize that it was a for real demon and i mean and and he's trying to help it's it's hard to be a stepdad man it's it's hard well i i think i figured it out i finally realized like the main reason i hated bob because like as it went on bob like Bob's character grew on me a little bit, and I will admit that. A little bit, not all the a way. A little. Uh-huh. Just enough. Um, because anytime he made, like, a small joke, I was just like, fuck off, Bob! <laughs> um, but the way they introduced him was quite possibly the worst way to introduce a character to me. Because as somebody who um, has been sh- sailing the Hopper and Joy's ship... Oh, see, that's why I think you're so upset, is because he tore your family apart. He tore my precious family apart! But that's not his fault, Scotty. It is! He he had a choice! Did he? He could have stayed away from the crazy woman. But she's beautiful, Scotty, and tortured. Men love that. I know, that's why I love it. You know the... Why you couldn't picture Stephen Mullet? That's why I couldn't picture Bob and Joyce. I want to okay. be there. I want to be where the Bob are. That's that's fine. I get it. I relent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. You're uh, welcome. Also, uh, just a quick aside. Uh, after I finished the show, I did what I always do, which is go on the Wikipedia page, which I unfortunately did before uh, before I started and ruined some things for myself. But, you drive me crazy. But afterwards, I went and just kind of browsed the trivia for all the different characters, with the exception of Lucas, because I still hate him. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, man. And I know they're trying. They're really trying to make Lucas, like, a good kid. And I'm worried, because, like, season one, I cared a lot about Mike. Season two, I cared about Dustin a lot. And I'm worried that season three, they're going to be like, hey, look how cool Lucas is. I'm like, <laughs> no. No, I can't watch this. But, uh, oh, I hope they do, and then we can come back and do Stranger Things Part 2 on the podcast and just let me ream you yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, No, but my favorite thing of all time is the fact that apparently on set for all of Season 2, they referred to Mike as Emo Mike, and it's my favorite. Aww. It's my favorite thing. I'm like, he was. He was an emo little shit through the whole time. Poor baby, he was missing the love of his life. I know he was, but maybe just kind of deal with it and be a precious little cinnamon roll like Dustin was. Because, my God, this was his season. It, uh, <laughs> he, uh, I don't know. I'm so glad that they gave him more to do in this season because not only is Dustin amazing, but the actor that plays him is amazing gaten matarazzo is my favorite if i could adopt a child without having to you know care for them right i, I would adopt gaten matarazzo in a, i think we came up with the fact that uh if you took all of the coolness out of me like anything that was vaguely cool out of me all that coolness would form into millie bobby brown and then the, <laughs> everything that was left would turn into gaten matarazzo <laughs> Well, that has to be a little bit of coolness that seeps in there, because he's a little, I don't know, he's a little badass. He is, dude. Like, I I just remember it starting up, like, the minute he started swearing was the minute I was like, oh, my son. It's my son on the television screen. Excellent. 
him running to the shed going shit 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 <laughs> oh yeah yeah um I'll, i mean i was contemplating waiting until the end of uh, uh us just gushing over this show to talk about it which by the way can we just call this part of the show gush hour because that's that's all basically it, what it is it, i mean it was supposed to be something you know like factual and yeah <laughs> For a while, I had, but, I had like, this intelligent idea of just, like, why doesn't Brenna give us, like, facts and information about the show? I react to them, and I'm like, no, we're just going to, like, gush over how much we love this show, which is why I, I we got to talk about the fucking snowball. The snowball. Oh, the snowball. Where Nancy... Nancy... Redeems herself an ounce. No, no, Nancy redeemed two seasons of fucking bullshit. <sighs> Just no. in that one scene. Because, like, think about the first interaction you really see Dustin have. It's with Nancy and about how bad he has a crush on her. And then it all comes full circle at the end when Nancy's just like, hey, let's dance. And I'm like, yes. And I wanted at that point the camera to pan to both Jonathan and Steve at, like, the bleachers looking over like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> when did this happen? Well, I mean, it's the hair, honestly. It really and the growl. <laughs> the hair was the best. Like, the minute I saw him, like, have that brown paper bag, I'm like, what the fuck? Does he have, like, another dart in there? But, oh, God. But then, no. He walks over, pulls out that Farrah Fawcett hairspray, and I'm like, he learned! He learned! He did. Um, because, like, that whole scene was so sad of him walking up to different girls and being like, excuse me, can I? And then them walking away, and then Nancy just swooping in like Batman and just like, let me dance with you. And then, <laughs> that was that was my Batman voice, not my Nancy voice. It was very voice. good. I, no, well, either or, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I want to be, like, who, I know that Dustin in the show is a huge like nerd or whatever and apparently nerds aren't attractive in the 80s but he's so cute who would not want to dance with him i don't understand i think it's also possibly the fact that they're trying to play off the fact that he had uh what's the disease gaten has that also they have I for- Whatever it is, I think they're playing off the fact that, like, oh, people look at him like he's a freak because of this and they don't <sighs> want to be near him. For the same reason, I hate that. For the same reason they looked at Will Byers and were like, oh, that's a man who died and came back to life. Zombie huh. boy. Yeah, let's make fun of this man who possibly has supernatural powers and has been to the other side. I'm like, what kind of horrible-ass bully are you that you can't even find something decent to make fun of? Talk about his shitty hair or something. Not the fact yeah, that Yeah, his bowl cut. Yeah, not the fact that he died. Well, it's very, like, Carrie by Stephen King in that regard. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody making fun of her, and then she breaks bad at the end, and then oh, he got possessed, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I- I'm sorry... In addition to Bob, we're going to have to disagree on another person on this show. Go ahead. I think Max and Lucas are perfect for one another because fuck both of them. I'm sorry. I didn't. Scotty. I, I liked her at first. I was like, oh, she's a young girl that's got attitude. But then as it went on, I'm like, she's kind of just a bitch for no reason. And she ha- but, she has all the qualities of first season Lucas that I didn't like, which was the fact that she didn't believe nobody. She's a dick to everybody. 
And they're just like, well, yeah, but they're cool. Okay, no, no, no. Let's dig into this a little bit. So she has a horrible home life. Her brother is abusive, and apparently her stepdad is abusive. And her mom just does whatever. And so she probably, and she's in a new school, and she probably feels like these boys are just like, trying to play a joke on her and her being mean about all this like oh there's there's a monster and there's this girl who's like can do all this stuff and don't you think you'd be a little bit upset just a little bit you know what Brenna that doesn't that doesn't help you know our case with uh, <sighs> why Lucas sucks dick so I'm not gonna give what? it to her uh, hey no his parents are fine <laughs> I yeah, think. Yeah. Oh, which, by the way, speaking of parents, can we just talk about how the Wheeler family have the worst parents ever? They do. They do. Like, it's one of, it's not as bad as Mr. Poe and Stranger... Not Stranger Things. A series of unfortunate oh, events. <laughs> a, ser- a Stranger th- Things of unfortunate <laughs> events. Um, but Very smooth. I liked it. Yeah, but it's like any time it cut back to his parents, I was like, oh, right, they are assholes. I forgot about this small character thing about um but yeah also since we're still on the topic of people i hate i learned that lucas is not my least favorite member of his family oh his brother no no it's his little sister oh his sister his little sister is a piece of shit she's so cute though it almost makes up for it oh no it physically does not because she was just like everything she did was the worst like making fun of dustin for code red like hey why don't you shut up i'm like look you have no idea what's going on and you are stopping people from dying. You are prevent- preventing people from saving the world. I hate you. I've never <laughs> hated a small child more than anything else. But luckily they made up for it because they also put in a small child wearing a cowboy hat in one scene that I really enjoyed. With the little pop gun. Yeah, that scares Hopper. Um, I- I- going back to the Max, the Max situation. I think I don't like her. Because, like, because. It, it don't feel like there was a reason for her to join them this season. Like, I'd understand. Like, the most, you, the biggest argument I can make personally for why Max joins is, oh, they needed a Zoomer, which means they needed someone to drive. Which they got with Steve Harrington. They don't need this other girl to drive for them. And I don't like, like, I'd understand if they talked about, like, all the problems that gay like wh- I understand like she's got problems at home and maybe that's why she's good at arcade games but you never really <laughs> see her playing arcade games I'm like you can't get that good of a high score without being obsessed I know I own an arcade she's like a ghost Scotty you never see her <laughs> but she does it she is a spectral being Floating through. In fact, anytime you don't see Max on screen, she's either skateboarding or playing video games. Yeah, that guy, the one that owns the arcade, probably lets her in because he thinks she's cute. Which is gross, what but it, oh, okay, still probable. Don't, don't say it. You said that in a weird tone, because that cheese uh, it's eating motherfucker is the creepiest thing <laughs> on this. He is creepier than the shadow monster. Um, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, but... 
It's just because it didn't feel like... It felt like they wanted a really cool new character to come hang out with the guys. And, like, yeah, that's not what they need. They aren't cool. They're nerdy as shit. Well, I guess. Also, she made <laughs> she made Eleven jealous, and it made me mad. Well, How dare Eleven you? needs to calm down a little bit. Don't She's you... not interested in Mike. <laughs> Don't you talk about... Eleven's interested in Mike? Not Eleven, Max! Oh, oh Max isn't. Okay, I see what no. you mean now. Okay, I was very confused. I'm like, how dare you? Um, But one thing I kept coming back to, like... Because this show is genuinely a phenomenon. And I was like, why is this... Sh-? Not, not in a negative way. Like, in a scientific exploration, why is this a phenomenon? And I think it's... I've come up with, like, a scientific... Scientific way to create a good show. That's Tell what, it to me. Which is, you need a good storyline and good plot, but that's not enough. You need, like, a really good gimmick. And this show is great at coming up with good gimmicks. Like, 13 Reasons Why, which I haven't watched because I have some problems with it, but, like, the whole tape cassette thing, that's their gimmick, and that's what let them get a little bit further up in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. or, Orange is the New Black, uh... It's a women's prison show, which I feel like is a gimmick in and of itself, but it's also not. I don't know. Uh, Breaking Bad. Meth. Um, so, uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, and so, with, but with this show, it is so good at coming up with, like, multiple gimmicks that were not only, like, enthralling, but they were also marketable. Like the right. like the string lights in the first season, and then the uh, giant colored map in the second season, and you know I'm sure Dungeons and Dragons had to have had a resurgence because of this show. Like, oh yeah, it's got so many different things working for it that it's impossible for it not to be a good show. I just saw too on Instagram that um, Schwinn is coming out with like 500 limited edition. Um, bikes like the ones that they have i don't know specifically whose bike it is but i was like i want to buy Uh, that even though i can't ride a bike uh, oh my god wait a minute hold on stop the podcast you can't (laughs) you can't ride a bike either no you can't either no i can't ride a bike oh this is oh my gosh this is why we're destined to be best friends is because we can't (laughs) ride bikes i thought you were about to make fun of me and then it turned and i was like okay no no, it's fine. Uh, and you know what else is fine, Brenna? What? All of our lovely patrons over at patreon.com slash load of BS. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, patreon.com slash load of BS. That's the website where you can support all the BS Network shows. Like Fun Fiction, like a load of BS, like Fight Boys, like all your favorites. You can just support them for yourself over at patreon.com. Slash a load of BS. Alright, so we've talked about the show. We've talked about, and I'm sure we're going to talk about more as it goes on. Because we're failures, and anytime we're just like, wait a minute, we forgot to talk about this. (laughs) Oh, hey, wait, what about? Yeah, oh, wait, what about how good Hopper was this season? Wait, what about this? But no, it's now time to get into, it's now time to get into our fan fiction. And the name of the game. The name, the nit, the nizzy of the gizzy. 
Oh, I don't want to say those words every. Did I, no, that was great. Did you go last week or I? You went last I, week, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, I found this lovely girl. I'm assuming she's a girl because she writes fan fiction for the internet. Uh, what is that? Hold up! Hold up! <laughs> That's the most sexist thing that you've ever said. I need you to back it up. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. No, no, no. I have I have evidence. Uh, in her description on her page, it says that she's a flute section leader, also known as flute section mom. I go by mom, mommy, mama, or if they want something. Ma! Uh, okay, okay, but since we're talking about Stranger Things, we also call Steve mom. Oh, yeah, Steve is mom. So I've called Steve Daddy for a while, so I think I prefer. Mm. <laughs> um, Whoa! <laughs> well, <laughs> different different meanings. Um, yeah, yeah. I do enjoy that she writes that she is a Stranger Things it and Blues Clues enthusiast on her page. Oh God! Please tell me that all three of these are included in the fanfic you're about to read. No, I wish there was, but this is from a series. She's well, no, she's actually like a really good. I'm assuming she's still. Uh, she's like a really good writer, and I really enjoy. It. She's done a series called In Which Everything Is Okay, and essentially <laughs> it's at. It's after season one of Stranger Things, or after season two, and everything has gone back to normal, and it's just, like, these nice little one-shots of, like, in which Hopper changes the sheets, in which which Eleven gets the flu, in which Hopper's a good papa, um, in which the boys are her boys, and I'm like, oh! And so she wrote a bunch of stuff like like she's written all this which I, by the way i think she's missed an opportunity in not calling this normal things uh but it's just yeah. called, it's called in which everything is okay her name is the singular peep on fanfiction.net she seems very interested oh my god damn it there's a lot of good stuff on the now i'm seeing in which mike explains sex and i don't know oh god i don't know in which 11 throws up on dustin I feel like Dustin would be the one to explain sex to everybody. Yeah, he would. He'd just be like, guys, come on. It's not that hard. I found it in the dictionary. Oh, my God. Which, by the way, uh, off topic, that is how I learned about sex is from the dictionary. Who who doesn't learn about sex that way? Exactly. But the one I've brought to the table today for you from, uh, from Miss the Singular Pete is, in fact, it actually... Uh, it came out the day I was looking for fan fiction. This came out like three days ago. Oh, so she's active. Yeah, yes. She is an active agent. That's the, nice. Yeah, in the world of uh, Stranger Things fan fiction. And this one is called In Which Hopper is a Dance Mom. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, September 11th, 1985. Never forget. I added that part. Oh, Wednesday. She saw it in a book. She saw it in a book, gave him those big brown puppy dog eyes, and less than two months later, he's sitting in a ballet studio surrounded by suburban moms watching his daughter attempt a pirouette. Hopper doesn't know how he got so soft. Eleven had been begging to read, and Hopper knew it. She hated so much that she couldn't read as well as her friends. She was trying, she really was, but the words just wouldn't come to her. She could read small sentences and could piece together little words on her own and was getting better at sounding things out, but more often than not, she would just grow frustrated and hoomph before throwing the book with her mind and crossing her arms. 
That kid had a temper on her. When Hopper had asked her why she threw it, she simply huffed again and not making eye contact. Can't. T too big. Hopper looked at the book she threw, then back to her. Kid, there's only 60 or so pages. How small do you need it? He asked, meaning to lighten the mood, but also because he was confused. Words. Eleven reiterated, rolling her eyes like it was the most obvious thing in the world. A hopper felt, or thought his, he felt his heart go kaput for a few seconds as he saw how teenagery she looked. But then it resumed again when he assessed the, uh, the situation properly. The words were too big. His girl needed picture books. And that was freaking adorable. He smiled and ruffled her hair, and even that tiny action earned a small smile. I'll get you some books next time I go out, yeah? Some books with easier words. After work that Wednesday, Hopper had stopped by the Wheelers. He hadn't known where else to go, not knowing any other small children or people who would know how to teach reading. So he knocked twice on the door, and within ten seconds, the Wheeler Boy was standing in front... I love they called Mike the Wheeler Boy. <laughs> the Wheeler Boy was standing in front of him, out of breath and looking out expectantly. His face curled up in disapproval when he saw L wasn't behind the tall policeman. Just me, kid. Need to speak to your mom. Mike scowled again. Why? Hopper, ro <sighs> Hopper rolled his eyes. I just do, okay? Grab her for me, will ya? Mike sighed sadly and let Hopper into the house before going to fetch his mother. Hopper had to admit that boy was absolutely smitten with his daughter. And it actually was kind of cute. As long as he didn't try anything. Ever. Mm. Within minutes, Karen was in front of him and baby Holly was in her arms. What can I help you with, Jim? Karen said, her face confused. Holly grinned at him. Hi, hi! She shouted, <laughs> giving, giving him a lopsided wave with one hand. She smiled a tiny, pained smile back and waved a sad excuse for a wave, and she hid her face in her, uh, in her mother's collar. Hey, Karen, uh, has Michael told you about Eleven's situation? He tried. He knew Karen knew about Elle and where she had been before coming to his home and her own. She knew, or he knew Karen knew she was abused and that she had to be kept secret for the next year, but he didn't know how much else she was aware of. I know everything, I think. Why, Jim? Is there something I should be aware of? Hopper sighed, his hands in his pockets. No, ma'am, he said, turning on his police officer charm. It's just, she never got to learn much back in that place. I've been teaching her a bit at home, like math and stuff, but she's really struggling with the whole reading thing. Only have books I used to read at the house, and she's not doing too great with them. Even if she's not bored to tears, she can't make out the words more than half the time. He let his voice trail off before he realized that he was looking at his feet. He didn't like asking for help, especially not from a white suburban mom with three but rebellious kids and a lazy <laughs> sack of potatoes for a husband. He looked, <laughs> he looked up quickly. To his surprise, Karen was smiling. Would she like to borrow some of Holly's? She has picture books and a few chapter books we read together. I think a little girl would like those a lot better than, what, old mechanic manuals and fishing books? Hopper did not inform her that she was correct, or that the only other genre he owned was cheesy romance novels. Karen disappeared for approximately 30 seconds, returning with a large armful of thin books. Among the bunch was a book titled Beezus and Ramona, another titled Charlotte's Web, and a few with the label The Boxcar Children. On top, in the most prevalent, however, was a thin, pale, pink book adorned with a drawing of a little white mouse asleep in her bed, images of ballerinas floating above her. Hopper chuckled. Yeah, these look more her style. Thanks, Karen. Once back home, Hopper walked in the door to find an empty house. 
He was confused and a little bit angry. Eleven was supposed to stay right here unless Hopper was there to take her out. The year wasn't up yet, though. It was close, and he wasn't going to take any risks. Before he could get angry, though, he took a deep breath and started in the door thinking rationally. Eleven could not have opened the door for him if she wasn't at home. She just wasn't where she normally was. He walked in, set the books on the coffee table, and started to call her name. Hey, Ellie? Ellie, got a surprise for you. He said, but got no response. He shut the door and wandered around a little. Eleven, come on out. Still nothing. Jane, come here, please. Nope. She really had to start following the rules. Hopper hung his hat on the rack inside before beginning to walk around the small house. She wasn't in the kitchen or the adjacent living room, nor her bedroom. He halfway expected her to be in his bedroom. She usually hid there if she had something to hide, like that one time with the ants. Ugh, so many ants. Hopper brushed... I think they just... It may be something that she wrote in one of her previous fan fictions about... Oh, God. (laughs) Hopper brushed it off, wriggling his feet at the thought of those tiny insects. He looked, but she wasn't in his room. He stood there perplexed before he heard a tiny oof and turned towards it. He walked four feet and turned right, now looking straight into the laundry room. And there she was, her little legs and bottoms straight up in the air and her head and arms down inside the washing machine. Hopper couldn't help himself. He laughed and Eleven jumped, causing her to become top-heavy and fall past the point of no return into the washing machine. (coughs) Hopper, the massive man he was, never had this problem. He taught Eleven how to do laundry two weeks ago and didn't even think about the fact that she was not quite tall enough to reach the clothes at the bottom. She wasn't quite short, per se. Not excessively. I mean, she was little, yes, but she was probably just a little below average. Shorter than most of her friends, but a tad taller than Will. That was a nice little dig at Will. Uh, Yeah. The thing was, she was done. Hopper expected her to grow rapidly under his care now with the right, right nutrition and regular, well, occasional physical exercise, but she hadn't. She hadn't grown at all. After her first doctor's visit with Dr. Owens, Hopper knew why. More likely than not, all those years without any sunlight, exercise, or real care, her growth had been stunted. A lot. And that meant probably forever his daughter would be stuck washing machine diving. Hey there, J.D. Hopper laughed, reaching to grab Eleven's sides. He pulled her out of the washer and laughed at how her mop of a hair was hanging over her eyes and sticking out in every direction. She was still in her pajamas, the little blue star ones, but that wasn't a surprise. She barely ever got dressed because what was the point? She wouldn't be leaving. But then again, she had been getting dressed more recently, with going to the wheelers on Tuesdays and Thursdays, going on walks on Wednesdays, seeing her friends on Saturdays, and having Mike over on Fridays. She was dressed most days. Hopper gaped. Jane L. Hopper, did you just now wake up? Eleven shrugged. Hopper facepalmed. Even at 12 years old, she was already turning into a little teenager. She paused and realized what day it was. Walk? She asked. Hopper sighed. Okay, whatever, that's fine. Actually, I picked up something for you. You want to see? Eleven nodded excitedly. All right, come on, kiddo, come on. He ushered her into the living room where the books were. Eleven absolutely loved the books. She adored every moment of them, and Hopper was so glad to see Eleven reading more and more around the house, even going so as as far to read Beezus and Ramona at the kitchen table at breakfast, and waking Hopper up at 1 a.m. to ask what this one last word meant, and falling asleep with it on her face in the middle of the floor, and having to get him to help every free moment he was home because she still wasn't the best at longer words or reading chapters. But by far, Eleven's favorite had to be that pink book with the mouse on the cover. 
Angelina Ballerina became a household name and tutus became an everyday wish. It was everywhere in his house. Drawings, art projects, makeshift costumes, and Hopper was about this close to losing his mind. And then it happened. It was 3.15 one Wednesday afternoon on their walk and Eleven had a burning question. But ballet, Eleven said, stepping carefully over a puddle even though she was wearing her rain boots. Hopper startled. What do you mean, sweet girl? He asked, looking down at her. She scrunched up her face, and Hopper knew she was thinking hard about how to word her next thought. Ballet. Want to... Want to do that. Want to do ballet. Eleven paused in both her words and her steps and looked up to Hopper. Please, Hop? Please? Hopper would like to say that he said no. He would like to say that he didn't give in every single time Eleven looked at him with those big brown doe eyes. He would like to say that, but that would be a complete lie. And friends don't lie. It was two months later, right around Thanksgiving, his 13-year-old daughter was all decked out in the finest tutu and leotard he could afford, and she was attending her very first ballet lesson. And Hopper was seated in the room on the benches, surrounded by 17 suburban moms all ooing and aahing over their little girls being graceful little fairies. His little girl was currently trying to catch a spider that she had found in the corner, but whatever. It only cost $50 straight to get her into these classes, and 20 for the leotard, and 10 for the tutu, and 5 for the tights, and 15 for the slippers. Hopper sighed. Which one is yours? A woman with obviously dyed blonde hair asked him, leaning over with a warm smile. Hopper sighed. She's the one with her, with her head in the cubbies. Jane Hopper. The woman smiled. Oh, I can see the resemblance. Hopper didn't know whether to smile or frown because one, thinking of Eleven taking after him even after not actually being related to him made him feel unconditionally proud. But two, all the lady could see was little Jane Hopper's rear end as she made an utter fool of herself (laughs) trying to do something completely insane in public. Hopper almost laughed. That was exactly what he was known for. Instead, he nodded and looked lovingly at his child. Yes, ma'am. She takes after my side. The end. That was so good. I know! Like, that's the best one in the history of our three episodes. I know! Well, no, not only that, it was a matter of, I read the title, Where Hopper Becomes a Dance Mom, and I was like, well, I have to read that one, and then I just started going, I'm like, this is so sweet! (sighs) I, I'm speechless. I'm going to have to look her up because I'm interested in the rest of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Follow that, girl. <laughs> I shouldn't have let you go first. I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> not that mine's not good because apparently people make really good Stranger Things fanfic, so there's that. Yeah. But I would like to say, though, that I don't know if you saw, but there is a whole lot of fanfiction where they make Mike and... um the character from it that he plays twins and like do a crossover. And I think that's really weird. And I just had to say that. I I I actually really love that. It's on par. Although, you know, our favorite twins on this show, Brenna, my favorite twins of all time were of course, Han Solo (laughs) and Harry Potter. Of course. Uh, (laughs) The greatest twins. Um, so this is, um, just, okay. So it's called, may we go mad together. And it's by California Nostalgia. And it's a lot of um, insight into um, 
the teenagers in Stranger Things, but I'm only reading Steve's part. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the only one. I was supposed to say, way to get the only characters I actually care, like, my least favorite characters. Except for Steve. Except for Steve. Which, oh yeah, we didn't talk about this guy either, but I just want to offhandedly say the Beardo guy who helps Nancy and Jonathan was my favorite character of all time because of how quickly he dunked on both of them. Yes. Alright, so it's, may we go okay. mad together? Yes. So, here we go. It, it goes through um, the first and second season. <clears throat> Steve Harrington had no filter. He had strong feelings, and as soon as, as soon as he learned how to talk, he sculpted those feelings into words. They called him Feisty, the aunts and uncles that came to visit on Christmas with arms full of customary gifts. They called him Honest, the grandparents who slipped sweets into his hands and smiled like they saw something incredible on the top of his head. Fun, the little kids around the elementary school playground called him as he led them in tag. Witty giggled the girls of his middle school clustered around him during break. King, the high school basketball team, named him after he chugged an impossible amount of liquor in one go. No one called him out for what he was. Steve realized that a lot later, after the flickering lights and the nailed bat and the first real monster of his 17 years of life, after he had time and reason to think on how he'd lived. He realized they let him get away with rude words and sharp jabs because he was beautiful, shaped prettier than a shampoo commercial. <laughs> And people rarely told beautiful people what they didn't want to hear. Brenna, did, but, you, Brenna, did you write this? No, but I could have. Yeah. <laughs> but even beauty got old when you looked at it long enough. His parents weren't very fond of him. He didn't remember ever seeing his father without his disapproving frown. His mother simply gave up sometime early in his childhood and frequently asked his father for romantic trips to new places, annoying Tyke not included. The moment Steve saw Nancy Wheeler in her incredible smile for the first time, he was lost. Selfishly, the first thing Steve could think of was that his parents were going to kill him if they found out he'd thrown a party. He wasn't really concerned about Barbara. He thought she must be playing some kind of attention-grabbing stunt in the form of a staged disappearance. He thought it might have had a thing to do with the way no one had paid much attention to her. He was familiar with the need for attention, the links one could go to for an extra look thrown over his shoulder. He didn't think of much of Barbara's tactics. Old, he thought. See-through. He had no filter. He'd never had one. He expressed his stupid, selfish concern to Nancy Wheeler, and the look of poorly suppressed disgust on her face burned into his memory like a brand. Steve had no filter. The betrayal he felt toward the girl with the incredible smile came pouring out of him the moment he opened his mouth. He was a punctured beer can, popped open to leak and leak and leak. You couldn't stop an opened can from leaking. Either you threw it all back in one go, or you threw it in the trash can. Nancy Wheeler slapped him, eyes burning red. Byers pulled her away, and rage coated everything in Steve's sight. He chased after them, throwing wicked words at their backs, once he knew would stick, once he knew would hurt. He ranted and leaked and called Joyce Byers crazy. Jonathan Byers punched him in the face and kept on punching him until a cop dragged him off. When Steve stepped into the Byers residence and saw them armed to their teeth with bloody bandages wrapped around their palms, he didn't know what to think. Christmas lights were hung up on every corner of the ceiling, the furniture had been pushed back to the walls, and he didn't know what to think of that either. Byers was yelling at him to leave, and Nancy was pointing a gun to his face, and he didn't understand what was going on except that Nancy hated him enough to point a loaded gun at him. 
Then the lights flickered overhead and the color drained out of Nancy Wheeler's face. He almost drove away. He almost let the reckless heroes deal with the monster on their own. Terror was not an emotion he was familiar with. It rattled his fingers, shook his skull, awoke the most primal parts of his instincts. Run, his body screamed. Death is behind you. Run, his head screamed. You stand no chance against that, against that creature. But when the lights flickered inside the buyer's house for the second time, Steve Harrington paused with his car door halfway open and thought about Nancy Wheeler and her incredible smile. He thought about the monster sprouting out of the poorly papered ceiling like some obscene flower clawing itself in from a world hidden somewhere between walls and shadows. He thought about buyers armed with a stupid bat studded with rusty nails and Nancy with a less than full barrel. He slammed the car door and ran back inside. A good thing he did, too, because if he had let them play hero on their own, Byers would probably have died. And Nancy, too. Probably. He tried not to think about that very much. He didn't like to wonder what would have happened if he hadn't charged back inside with crazed fear running through his veins and grabbed a bat off the floorboards. It was dumb luck. It was chance, coupled with some good planning. Somehow, between three scared teenagers, one nailed-up baseball bat, a bear trap, some gasoline, and a lighter... They beat back the nightmarish demon thing until it retreated into its flip-side universe once more. Steve was naive. The gate was closed. The monster had evaporated, along with a scary little girl who had secret government <laughs> agents searching for her. It felt like he was waking up from a bad dream, and when they asked him to sign an act of secrecy, he did it gladly. He thought everything would go back to normal. He thought he could ignore the nightmares, pretend he didn't look at shadows with a shade of trepidation. He didn't realize the same bad dream had permanently taken away Nancy's best friend. He didn't realize she'd silently choked down sobs in her dead friend's bathroom. He thought himself changed for the better. better. Turned out he hadn't changed enough. He was still the same selfish asshole, and his selfish love finally succeeded in driving Nancy Wheeler away from him. I love you, Steve nearly said. I'm sorry, was on the tip of his tongue. I can do better, Nancy, please, was what he wanted to say. He had a filter now. He thought about what he wanted, he thought about what she wanted, and he chose his words. It's okay, Nance, he told her, and meant it. Approximately three months after the snowball, when Mike kissed Eleven and Nancy danced with Dustin, the lights of the whole town flickered out, overloaded electrical systems, harmless if a bit of an annoyance. No one thought much of it except for a handful of people. The Wheelers had been in the middle of dinner, making conversation no one was much interested in. As soon as the electricity died, Mike and Nancy shared one terrified look and bolted for their respective rooms. Nancy for the gun beneath her mattress, and Mike for his walkie-talkie. Mr. and Mrs. Wheeler blinked after their children in confusion, then Mrs. Wheeler went to find the candles. While his older sister watched the shadows with a finger on the trigger, Mike contacted first Lucas, who promised to call Max, and then Dustin. Steve was babysitting Dustin when the lights died. He immediately grabbed a flashlight and made a quick trip to his car, where he kept a nailed-up bat just in case. When he got back, Dustin was on the radio with Mike Wheeler. I'm fine. I've got Steve and his bat, Dustin was saying. He's the next best thing to your sister with a gun, you know. It was nice to know he ranked above Jonathan Byers in Dustin's books. Steve <laughs> sat down next to the kid as he radioed Will and absently drummed his fingers along the length of his bat. I really hate this town, Steve groaned. The end. Oh my god, Britta, one of us has to have the shitty fan fiction. You know that, right? Is one that of... a rule? I didn't realize that was a rule. <laughs> no. Well, next time. No, it's alright. Mine's my my fan fiction for the show this week is pretty shitty. Not the one I wrote. Um 
Oh. But you know what's not shitty? Well, tell me about it, Scotty. All of the the lovely merchandise over at merch.loadofpurebs.com. That's right. That's where you can get merch for all your favorite BS Network programs, including fun fiction. We got the shirt with our logo or one of our logos on it. And then, of course, because we did Stranger Things, I wanted to copy that Steve Harrington shirt you got. (laughs) <gasps> that's what i thought you were doing yeah so i made a it's basically like an old school 80s shirt except it's got me and brenna's face on it and it says fun fiction so it's yeah, awesome yes yeah, so make sure to check that out all over at merch dot a load of pure bs dot com so um i i did something different this week which is last two weeks i've kind of just had a general idea for a fan fiction, I've not written anything down because I knew if I wrote it down, it would be 5,000 words and this podcast would be two hours. Right. And so instead, this week I finally did write it down because I wanted to, I always try to kind of illustrate my favorite things in the show in my fan fiction or my favorite thing in the movie. And one of my favorite things is like all the D&D stuff that they go through and like, I really enjoy the stuff with Hot or with Eleven and Mike. Like I really like that a lot, and uh, of course I love Steve. So I've tried to highlight all of those. But when I came to D and D, I was like, should we just do like a D and D campaign on the show? And I realized that would be insane, and I don't know <laughs> if we could pull it off. But I did, I've done the next best thing, which is I need your help because Brenna Lord Clark, this is. A Stranger Things Choose Your Own Adventure. <gasps> no way! Yes. So, uh, I, I, I'll i start with the opening paragraph and then give you some choices. It oh, is, heck yes, I'm in. It has been three months since the Hawkins Middle Snowball. It has also been three months since you've seen Eleven. You've tried your damnedest to move on, but you can't. The image of her walking into that auditorium seems to be burned into your skull and you can't forget it. Your name is Mike Wheeler, age 13. You've never felt more alone since when Eleven left. You've been listening to Welcome to the Black Parade on repeat for the last four hours. (laughs) Wait a minute, shit, this is the 80s. Uh, Oh. (laughs) You've been listening to The Cure on repeat for the last four hours. Your friends have tried to get you to come out, but you can't find the energy to even move. Suddenly, static breaks across your walkie-talkie as the voice of Dustin calls out, Mike! Mike! We've got a code red. Please, pick up. Do you answer the walkie and see what Dustin wants, or ignore it and continue to wallow in pity while the <laughs> cure plays? Okay, question. Am I doing what I myself would do, or do I need to play my character? Brenna, this is a choose your, this is a choose your own adventure. Okay, okay, so I pick up and I talk to Dustin. Okay. Mike, where have you been? We've been trying to call you for days. Something's up with Lucas, man. Dustin calls as you cradle the walkie in your hand. You fight back a yawn as Dustin continues. We need your help. We think it's something to do with the upside down. Not everything has to do with the upside down, you respond with a roll of your eyes. Besides, there's something wrong with Lucas every other week. It's not that big of a deal. He's not responding to any of us. He's not even responding to Max. Dustin continues as the sound of a car engine roars outside. Mike peeks through his windows to see a BMW parked outside, sighing as Dustin continues to rant. It's like he suddenly just dropped off the face of the earth. You lie back on your bed as the sounds of the cure fill the room. You want to believe Dustin, but you also know how lax he's been with the whole code red thing lately. 
Suddenly, a loud horn blasts in the street outside. You look outside to see Dustin and Will frantically waving up at your window. You shut the blinds, and Dustin responds with a firm flick of the middle finger, something he picked up from Max. You grab your book bag and rush outside. You find in front of you your two, two of your best friends, Dustin and Will. Inside the idling car was Steve Harrington, a former boyfriend of your sister's. You know things were serious if they decided to bring Steve in on this. Dustin and Will begin to retreat into the car as you slowly pace towards them. Do you follow them into the car or ask more questions? Uh, ask more questions. Okay. Okay, what's going on? Lucas isn't usually the one targeted by these things. You comment as they slowly turn towards you, eyeing Will up and down. Maybe he's just distracted with homework or something. Uh, are you sh are you little shits gonna hurry up or what? Steve ca <laughs> Steve calls as he exits the car, slowly approaching the trio. Sun's going down in three hours, and things are gonna get exponentially harder after that. Lucas isn't the only one this has happened to. Will responds as Dustin sets his backpack on the ground, rummaging through it. My mom is basically turned into a hermit. Won't talk to me or Hopper. Even Nancy and Jonathan seem to have been having problems. Really? Steve responds with a small grin. <laughs> Steve responds with a small grin, turning towards you. Has Nancy asked anything about me? No, you respond with a groan. Has she asked anything about me? Dustin adds on with a smile as he tosses you a book. <laughs> you know it instantly as the Monster's Manual of Dungeons and Dragons. You flip through to a dog-eared page where you discover a terrifying worm-like creature. The Fate Eater? You ask as Dustin, the Master of Lore, walks over and begins examining the book with you. I want to take a moment right here to break away from the fanfiction and say the Fate Eater actually, I believe, started in the 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons, which didn't come out until recent years, but fuck you. I don't have a lot of time to prep this. I wouldn't have known. It's alright. Okay. They feed off the destinies and fates of humans. Dustin adds on. They consume the very threads of fate itself and leave whoever was to receive that destiny in a useless life. They have no fate. They just float throughout life with no ambition. Nothing is destined for them. Moments later, you're sat in the backseat of Steve's B&W, a can of gasoline in your hands. You're barreling down the road to Will's home, a spot that seems to have t been uh, a spot that seems to have attracted the Fate Eater. Both Jonathan and Joyce had been attacked. Will was lucky he wasn't home when the creature began to feed. You slowly pull up to the old home and exit the vehicle. The rest of the party get their weapons out of the back as you slowly approach the house. Moments later, you find yourself split into the groups. Dustin and Will head inside to check on the buyer's clan as you and Steve head to the backwoods, Steve practicing swinging with his bat. You nervously stare at the ground as Steve's hair bounces in the wind. <laughs> hey, Steve, you comment quietly as you pass the buyer's shed, leaves crackling as you go further into the forest. How did you get over Nancy leaving you so easily? Really? Steve raises an eyebrow at you as he drags his benailed baseball bat in the dirt. There's a creature that can literally consume your entire future on the loose, and that's what you want to talk about? I'm just saying, it seems like he got over it pretty quickly. It started hanging out with us, and whoa, he responds, placing the bat to your chest. Let me remind you that we are not hanging out. I'm just here to make sure your asses don't get killed. And to answer your question, I didn't. Oh. What? You respond when suddenly rustling comes from a nearby bush. Steve steps in front of you when suddenly from the bush emerges a squirrel. Huh. You, you both sigh a sigh of relief when you notice the squirrel slowly pacing across the ground. 
An acorn falls from a tree above, and the squirrel merely stares at it and skitters away. What do you do? Check the bushes, or get back up? Um, check the bushes. Okay. You peer into the bushes where you discover a rather large, gro- a large, grotesque worm staring up at you with rows of sharpened teeth. Shit. It leaps out at you and you feel its slimy mouth latch onto your face. However, you don't seem to be experiencing pain as much as a loss of thought. It's as if everything that made you alive was leaving. The next D&D campaign you had planned suddenly disappears. Your knowledge of who these people around you are disappears. Everything disappears except for L. That thought of Eleven walking into the Hawkins Middle Snowball seemed enough to bring you back. It lets you remember the snowball, which in turn lets you remember the faces around you, the faces of your friends that attended that ball. This continued to snowball until the monster's face began to burn as it leaps away from you, seemingly terrified of what was happening inside of your mind. The rest of your party stare at you in confusion until Steve thinks quickly and begins to bash the small creature's entire body apart with his bat, blood flying up onto his members-only jacket. Once once the creature was left in a pile of mush, Steve uh, Steve finally gave up his fight, breathing heavily. The other two members of your party slowly approach you as you stand up, checking your body for any injuries sustained. What the shit was that? Dustin (laughs) asks as suddenly the sound of crackling leaves come from behind you all. What the shit was that indeed? A voice calls from behind you. You turn to see a man in a pinstriped suit checking the time on his pocket watch. He holds out a hand for you as a portal opens in the tree beside him, ripping into the bark. Do you follow the man? Or slowly back away. Uh, slowly back away. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Wheeler, but you don't actually have a choice in this when it comes to me. He smiles as suddenly you feel your hand in his as he leads you through the portal. The rest of your party try to stop him, but before they can reach you, you're firmly throughout the wooden portal. I really wanted to thank you for stopping that abomination, but more importantly, I needed to show you this. What lay in front of you is a beautiful tapestry of woven silks. However, one section seems drastically damaged, but the wool seems to be pulling back together majestically, almost animating. Various lines seem to be falling off into nothingness as others seem to get tangled together, forming massive knots. The man smiles at you as he slowly walks towards the tapestry. Do you know what this is? He looks at you as you slowly shake your head no. He smiles and extends a finger, causing one thread to grow a bright blue. More specifically, do you know what this is? Is that... me? You ask as he flashes a sly grin. He beckons you to come closer as you stare at this lengthy thread. Do you see these two lines? He smiles as he eliminates two more lines at the tip of your thread, forming an X. This is where the path of your father intersected with your mother, and from that, you were born. Gross. You respond <laughs> quietly as he holds out as he holds out another finger, eliminating, or illuminating three more threads that start far away and then slowly approach and intertwine with your thread. And these? These are your friends. Your party, if you will. All along this thread, 
your friends' threads will get closer and further away, but they will always be connected to you. All of them will. With that, he smiles and illuminates several other fibers in the tapestry, fibers representing people you love, people you barely know, and even enemies. They all come together around your thread to form a bright white light. So many people touched by your thread more than you can even begin to fathom. It's then that you notice one th thread that seems to abide right by your side for a very long time, but soon begins to fall away, falling away from the very tapestry itself and blowing in the wind a single thread. L, you comment quietly as you stare at the thread dangling in the wind. She's so far away. She, she's so far. Why is she so far away from me? Because she has to be. He responds as you stare up at him, furious. It makes a more beautiful tapestry that way. <laughs> you rush forward to attack him, but quickly tumble down onto dry leaves. You then look up to see Dustin, Steve, and Will staring down at you. They slowly pick you up as you realize that you're not as alone as you once thought. Will? A familiar voice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get one, Will, and uh, a familiar voice calls as you look back to see Joyce Byers staring out at the four of you. She didn't seem as de as brain dead as before, however. She seemed truly alive. Will rushes into the house and is embraced by his family. Suddenly, static sounds over Dustin's walkie as he frantically pulls it out of his backpack. What are you guys doing? It was Lucas, excited as ever. You have to get over to the arcade. I think Max is about to get the high score on Galaga. You look at the rest of the group with a smile as you rush towards Steve's car. You slow your pace as you approach, however, thinking about that tapestry, thinking about that thread dangling in the wind. Losing L certainly made you more grateful for your friends, but was it truly your fate? It seems that's what the suited man thought, but what did he know? Do you? Get in the car and go to the arcade with your friends? Or change your fate? <laughs> oh my god! Uh... If you had a chance to change your fate, would you? Would you? <laughs> uh, uh, shoot. I go to the arcade. Oh fuck, that's the one I didn't write. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> no. We'll cut it, we'll cut it, okay. <laughs> I really thought I had set up this whole you need to change your fate thing, but okay. You go to the arcade and she's playing Galaga. Good job. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Pretend I didn't choose the stupid answer, okay. <laughs> okay. Alright. I'm, <laughs> I'm changing my fate. Okay. You rush into the buyer's house and quickly ask Jonathan for the directions to Hopper's hideout. He was sworn to secrecy by the sheriff, but something in Mike's eyes told him that that young boy needed to know. Moments later, Mike was on his bike, rushing towards the old dilapidated cabin in the woods. He narrowly avoids tripping off the alarms as he rushes up to the door and knocks rapidly. Moments later, he hears the cocking of a gun on the inside as the door slowly creaks open, Hopper staring out nervously. Damn it, he groans as he notices Mike's face. He opens the door a bit more as Mike tries to look past him. Kid, what are you doing here? You ignore this question entirely and rush in to find Eleven on the couch watching an old musical. She looks up at you and is stunned in silence. 
You swallow nervously, a small smile at playing on both of your lips. And suddenly, both of your energies seem to explode at once as you rush towards each other in an embrace. She smiles at you as Hopper groans, hiding a smile of his own. Why are you here? She asks you quietly as you continue to peer into her eyes. Well, you trace her entire face with your eyes, struggling to fight away that big, goofy grin. I guess it's fate. The end! Oh, Aww. yeah, I'm Devin. <laughs> so, yeah. That was so good. I, I know. I, I, I tried. Like a That's lot, my favorite so far. A lot of it happened like too fast. Like I was just like, wow, I'm just going to have them kill that thing real quick and not worry about That's it. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad that you did that. I really liked the uh, just the scene with the master of the fates where he's just like, yeah, no, you fucked up. <laughs> She ain't coming back. And you're like, no, she is, bitch. I will find a way. Um, my favorite line I wrote, and it was probably one of the first real lines I wrote at work, was, uh, has Nancy said anything about me? No. Oh, the... <laughs> yeah. Has Nancy said anything about me from Steve? And then, no. And then Dustin just, has she said anything about me? Rubbing it in. Like, damn it, damn it, Dustin. So yeah, that's my fan fiction. That's choose your own things, I guess. I don't know what I'm calling it, but yeah, that's my fan fiction. <laughs> choose your own things. Also, fun fact: there were very little choices actually made. I learned when writing a choose your own adventure, just kind of write something in series and write in multiple points. Where if you want to skip the next paragraph, just let me know. <laughs> So, yeah, choose your own adventure books are hard, but doing this podcast is always fun fiction. It is. Boom. That's why it's, yeah, that's the name. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, I did it. Uh, so, Brenna, Lauren, Clark, where can they find you on the internet? Look me up at Brennasaur, which I realized I spelled it wrong in the last podcast. I added an E at the end because I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so it's B-R-E. N-N-A-S-A-U-R, and that's on, like, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. That's right, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scotty... Oh, that just clipped the mic really bad. Anyways, at at Scotty Mo. that's S-C-O-T-T-Y-E, him, oh, and make sure to go buy all my books on Amazon, Queasel Corp, Queasel Corp Revelations, Queasel Corp Risen, I just said them in the exact wrong order. You, but it's, yes, you did. But it's okay. And then, of course, BS versus the Gods. Just look up Scotty Moore. You'll find all my stuff. They're on Kindle. Uh, all the other books, I think Queasel Corp Revelations still isn't doesn't have a physical copy, but all the other ones do. And you can pick them all up on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen. And make sure to pick up, check out all the other BS Network programs at aloadofpurebs.com. If you like pro wrestling, Make sure to check out Fight Boys. If you like theme parks, check out Opposite Attractions. And if you like two white guys talking and being assholes for an hour, check out... That's my favorite! That's the best kind! Check out a load of BS, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, make sure to get your fun fiction merch online at merch.aloadofpurebs.com. Dot com. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever good stuff is sold. And then, of course, please leave us a review. We're in the first eight weeks, which is apparently, I've been told, is like the most important time for podcast. 
the golden hour. This is the golden hour, and we need your help to get, to be recognized by the senpai. That is iTunes. So make sure to subscribe, rate, review, do all that lovely stuff, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, stay away from baby Hitler. I'll let you say it that time. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>